Good morning. That was a beautiful time in song and praise to the Lord. Uh, you know, I, I, I really do, uh, and I will say love. Love is a strong word, but I'll, I'll use it in this context because it is applicable. Uh, I love that uh, the fact that we here at, at this church, Resilient Life Church, we, we really premise everything on Christ and and. We believe in the leadership that we're we're supposed to let uh, the the ministries within th- this this part of the body flourish. And so, you know, I, I don't I don't um, I don't have all kind of contact with Isaiah and Michelle about this is what you need to sing. You know, they are the they the worship team. Michelle is the worship leader, and and, and she hears from the Lord. Amen. Amen. And. I'm just going to put it out there because it is, I'm keeping it real. We keep it real at this church. That last song, that is, that is the whole premise of the message today. That's the whole premise of the message today. Um, Michelle, you gave it away. No, I'm playing. <laughs> you know, but, but this is what is going to go on as we get into this first letter. And again, small chunks. I had, was like, oh yeah, I had, I had messaged, uh, Christy through Slack, you know, as you, you guys know, she does all the, the good graphics and she prepares all that stuff for Proclaim that, that Lou, you know, makes sure, you know, gets ran through as, as the service goes on. But I, I had messaged her earlier in the week and I said, oh, I think I'm going to be able to get through verses one through seven. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it didn't take but about 45 minutes of, uh, of just being with the Lord. You know, I, I like to get up early in the mornings and that's my private time with him that, that I realized there's no way. I'm not getting through verses 1 through 7, especially the way I yap. So, <laughs> so we're going to get through verses 1 through 4. But it just amazes me, again, and maybe it shouldn't amaze me because we all share the same Holy Spirit. But you see, you got to look for consistency in the Word. And that's how you get confirmation that the Lord... Pretty sound engine there. It's good. But that's how you get confirmation that the Lord is either behind something, and then I'm going to have to get southern and get loud now because of all this racket. Or He's not behind something, right? You just can't go off a whim. Oh, I, I, I think God <laughs> show me this. You know, I drew number seven, so all of a sudden, it's like, dude, you're on some superstition. But now, when things are confirmed through other parts of the body, other people in the body, and you didn't speak to them. That should be a ding, 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 winner, winner, chicken dinner. The Lord is behind that. And so, I, I, again, I share that because the whole premise of the message this morning can be found in, in that song. You know, just the whole, the whole point. <laughs> you know, it's not about a song. He's like, I'm not, I'm not tripping off a song. That's a byproduct of your heart being renewed in him. But that's not the end all. But how, uh, how unfortunate it is that sometimes we in Christianity, we make it about all these external things. I've said it once before. So I work with special needs people and I've heard it said at my job. <laughs> I've earned my wings. What? You've earned your wings. So you think you're going to heaven based on the fact that you do work with special needs people. Again, that is the same flaw that Jewish people had a long time ago. They thought because we are Jews... <laughs> All of a sudden, that's our, that's, our, that's our inherent right to be right with God and to get into heaven. And obviously, that's not the case. 
Because he doesn't care what culture, what creed you are. He cares what's the most important thing. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Have you accepted his shed blood as the offering to make you right before God the Father? And now you inherit Jesus' righteousness because you don't have any. I don't have any of my own, right? And that's the, that's the basis that we're right with God the Father. That's what gives us merit to get into heaven. That's the whole reconciliation to be reconnected from an estranged relationship because of sin. And so it's just, it's beautiful, right? You can't exhaust this principle. This is so key in Christianity, right? If we ever find ourselves getting tired of either talking about it or hearing about it, we got to do a heart check somewhere, people. I'm just keeping it real. This is something that it needs, you just need, I need to grow deeper in this daily and so much adoration and admiring of God. And then in your own life, my gosh, seeing his power being unleashed through you and how you deal with people and especially how you deal with people when the circumstances are not fortunate, when the circumstances are difficult, when people are trying you and, 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 and working again on that last nerve that's dangling by a thread and it's already been severed. How do you respond? How do you? <laughs> hey, married couples know what I'm talking about. People who have young kids. I, was, I don't know who I was telling a minute ago, but, you know, my son. Oh, I was telling Scotty. <laughs> my son's getting reprimanded by, by, by my wife. He wants to be on the phone. She's not done. He's copping the attitude. He's six years old. So this is the time where all this comes in. He don't want, he don't want daddy to give him hugs no more. <laughs> you know, he, he, he frowns it. Can I, can I give you a kiss on the cheek? Oh, man, this kid. But I'm not going to get into it. But, you know, nonetheless, you know, we, we see these things transpire. But it's how do we react? How do we respond? You know, how do we respond to these things? Do we respond in love? Do we respond in meekness? Do we respond in gentleness, in kindness? Right. The attributes, the characteristics of Christ. Or do we <laughs> you're going to do this. <laughs> and then it becomes just a, a negative thing and, and nobody's happy and the whole household's in a mess. With that. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. We're going through verses 1 through 4 this morning. So again, please, if you can, and you're able to, stand for the reading of God's Word. Go ahead and read the text this morning. I'm super excited about this. I mean, we're getting into the the meat, the heart of the book of Revelation. And then we'll go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll we'll, we'll get through these verses. All right. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1. So it says, To the angel of the church, in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, you, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Verse 3. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Verse 4. But, whenever you see that word in Scripture, you know something's coming. But, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we need you to illuminate the scripture. Help us to understand the text in context as you have prepared it for us this morning. Lord, show us where we are in this. Show us where ultimately where Christ is in this and how we can relate to your son. 
May you make this application applicable to our lives. Would you soften our hearts, Lord? Help us not to close our ears to things that might sting in this context. Help us to not grow offensive to your word as it cuts to the heart of the situation in our lives personally and collectively as a church. But may you have the free will to speak your truth through your vessel and may it land on fertile soil. May people be receptive to whatever it is you have for them this morning. And may you receive all honor and glory because you, Lord, are the only one worthy to receive that kind of praise. So we thank you and love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. You know what? This is pretty cool. It's like, you know, I've heard it said many times, do not preach to empty seats. And Lord willing, I believe thus far I haven't preached to empty seats. I preach to whoever's here. I preach the same if there's this many people or if there's five people here. It's, it's great to see people here, though. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie, it's great. You know I me, mean? cause it, it it's like it invigorates me, cause I'm like, man, your people are hungry. They're they're just as hungry as me because they're showing up. You want to encourage your pastor? Show up. <laughs> show up. That's it. Show up. Show up and and live a life worthy of uh, of the Lord being your your Lord and and live with integrity when no one's looking. Amen. All right. Today we're going to begin, like I said, the the letter to uh, the church of Ephesus. There's seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelations, okay, specifically. And there's a there's a shared structure that goes on to each of these letters. I kind of want to want to address this real quick because it's going to set the framework for how we we better understand uh, the, the letters as we go through them, Lord willing, we, uh, you know, week by week or however we get to them. So first off, you, you're going to have an, an, ad, an, an address to a particular congregation, right? So um, here is the church of Ephesus, right? Then you're going to have an introduction from Jesus Christ himself. He's going to be speaking, addressing uh, each one of these churches, Then there's going to be a statement that Jesus is going to make regarding the condition of the church, right? Christ pulls no punches. He's going to stay say flat out, this is what I see. (laughs) And you can either accept it or not accept it. You can deny it or or, or try to clog your ear, close your ears to it. But I'm going to tell you, speaking of Christ, he's going to tell you and I the condition of the church. Then there's going to be a verdict, right? Because he is the only true righteous judge. So he's going to give a verdict regarding that condition that he shares with the church. He's going to describe, hey, this is what I see. And this is my verdict on that. Okay. Then the Lord is going to give a command. He's going to tell the church specifically something that if they were wise in godly wisdom, they're going to, they're going to take heed to whatever the Lord says and they're going to do what he's telling them to do. They're going to do it in his strength, obviously, but they're going to do it, right? But he doesn't leave it at that. Then there's a general exhortation to all Christians. This is, this is great, right? He doesn't just leave you like, oh, man, I got convicted. Oh, I just, you just cut me down, Lord. You just, I, was, I felt like I was just, you know, solid, and you just chopped me down. Like Paul Bunyan, now I'm a stump of a man. But now he's going to exhort the church. He's going to encourage the church. Isn't that so good? That's how our Lord deals with this. Again, 
when you have spiritual discernment, that's how you know it's from the Lord and not from the, the enemy. It's not from Satan, right? Because Satan, all he does is condemn. He ain't going to encourage you. He might encourage you to say, yeah, yeah, you're, 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 you're low. You're not good. Why don't you go ahead and off yourself? Why don't you go ahead and walk out on your marriage? Why don't you go ahead and go pick up that bottle? Why don't you go ahead and click on that uh, mouse and go to that illicit website? He, he's going to encourage you to do that, but he's not going to encourage you in godly things. And this is what we see with Christ after he gives a command, after he gives a condition of what the church is like, he's going to exhort the church. And then there's going to be a promise of reward. Oh, man, who likes rewards? Right? We're a, we're a country based on, man, I'm trying to win the lotto. <laughs> I see those commercials published at Clearinghouse. What? I can get, what is it, $10,000 a week <laughs> for the rest of my life? My goodness, what is attached to that? You know, it sounds appealing, but then it's like, do you really want to live with all that comes with that? Oh, my gosh. But we're all about reward in our culture, right? And we're all about attaboys. And, and this is what I get for being a good employee. I get, I, get the, I get the private parking space. I get to be like Tom Brady in front of Gillette Stadium, and I get the Tom Brady <laughs> placard, and that's where I get to park, right? We're all about reward incentive. But you see... In God's kingdom, it's totally different. But he does operate in the sense of he will reward those who seek after righteousness. He will reward those who diligently live an obedient lifestyle under his hand. And it's a promise. It's something that you can take to the bank. Man, that's good. I mean, that's the whole reason why we do this, right? That's the whole reason why we live this lifestyle, right? Because the promise is I'm going to have peace and joy for eternity, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more backbiting, no more hate, no more jealousy, no more envy, no more strife. Oh man, all that stuff, all that stuff that we struggle with daily, that we go through, that we get hit left and right, right by the fiery arrows of the devil or even our own mind and our own flesh. One day, all those things are going to cease to exist and we're going to be in the light of Jesus Christ for eternity. That's that promise. That's that hope. That's that reward that we're banking on. I don't care about no crown. I don't even care about walking on streets of gold. I don't care about, I don't really see none of that stuff. All I see is, man, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I, I want to be at peace with my Lord. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be able to rest in him. But you know, the beautiful thing is you can rest in him today. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to rest in him. You can experience that rest, that peace, that joy. Oh man. But you know, like I said, it's really active in the midst of turmoil and trial and difficulty. And that's some of the things that some Christians don't like. Because we think that <laughs> accepting Christ is an exemption from difficulties in life. Don't ever let anybody teach you that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It is. It's a lie from the pit of hell. The reality is the Lord's peace will come to you. But it's going to be activated for sure the most when you're going through difficult times. Because there's no, there's no way out of difficulty in this life. I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you something different, but I can't. Because it's, that would be a lie. The reality is each and every one of us, and you all know, you're probably walking through something right now that has been trying and it's, it's a trial. But you can have the Lord's peace despite that. Amen? Amen. All right. Okay, we can see that the state of each of these seven churches, right, and how the Lord addresses them. This, is, this, this actually can be applied to the state of our own personal walk with Jesus, right? 
by looking at what Jesus Christ has to say to each church in each section, in each letter. Okay, I'm just setting this up because I really believe this is how we're going to get the most out of this portion of our, our series through the book of Revelation. You see, to get the most out of these studies, I challenge you and I to listen as if Christ was speaking to you directly. As if the Lord was speaking to you directly. Meaning, don't get lost in the geography. Don't get lost in the history of, of what's going on. I'm not saying take the scripture out of context. What I'm saying is it can apply. It does apply to us directly. Yes, this letter was written in the time to the church of Ephesus, but it can also be applied to the Lord's church today. It applies to us today. And we know that we as believers are his church, right? It's not this building. It's not all this other stuff. It's not this exterior stuff that we see. It, 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 it's us. We are his church. So he's speaking to you and I directly today through his text. All right, we're going to get a little bit of background about Ephesus because this is going to, again, set the stage for what and the context for what's going on in these first four verses. So um, emphasis, Ephesus, emphasis, we're going to put emphasis on Ephesus. <laughs> okay, this was an ancient Greek city on the western shore of Asia Minor, which is now modern day Turkey. The name Eph Ephesus basically can be translated to city of the mother goddess. Okay, pause, pump the brakes right there. Now, if you have your spiritual antennas up and you are operating in the Holy Spirit in you, you already know that there's a big red flag there, right? There's a big red, <laughs> big red flag for, for that name to translate to City of the Mother Goddess. Well, I mean, for people nowadays <laughs> that are on this whole all-inclusive trip and, you know, this and that, and uh, it's like they, they're going to embrace that. They're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Mother Goddess, yes. We're, we're so liberal. We are so about that. That just falls in line with our political views. We are all about that. But this is not a good look, people. You see, this city was the temple site of uh, the temple Artemis, Artemis. And you know that this is also doubly as bad because uh, Artemis was the Greek name for Diana, which was the virgin goddess of the hunt and the moon and the daughter of Zeus and the sister of Apollo. So you got all kind of just not, not good stuff going on. <laughs> Again, all you have to do is read Romans chapter 1. Mankind, we make God in our own understanding, in our own idea, our own creation. And, and that's what you have with all these Greek gods and all this other stuff. Little g, not the true and living God. All you have to do is look to all the philosophers that talk about this. But it's confirmed that these are little gods, little g's. They're not making the sun and earth move. They're not bringing life into the atmosphere. They are gods of people's own creation. Artemis was also called Cynthia. It's pretty cool when you start doing, you know, research on where names come from, this and that. And I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody whose name is Cynthia, but man, parents, do your research before you start naming kids. Do your research before you start naming kids. I was watching, uh, I was watching, you know, I, I, I watch college football. I watch college football. There was some, some young man, I think his name was Nehemiah Jones. And the first thing I said was, oh, his parents are Christian, for sure. That name Nehemiah, you don't just name your kid Nehemiah. 
you know what that name means. You got some, you have to have some kind of Christian background unless it's just some sort of tradition. And daddy's name was Nehemiah, so I'm just going to name my son Nehemiah. But, you know, normally when you hear Jebediah, oh, <laughs> that person's parents are Christian. They know the Lord because you don't just name your kid that. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> Nobody names their daughter Jezebel because you know what's associated with that name. I'm not going to speak into existence that, that this person's going to be a little loose with kind of how they live. I'm not naming my daughter Jezebel. I want her to be a woman of integrity, a woman of prudence. I want her to be a prude. I remember when I met Veronica. We were doing a Bible study, and uh, she said something about that. Somebody, somebody at Spring Valley told her a long, long time ago that she was a prude, and that ended up being a good thing. You want to be prudent as a woman of God, as a man of God. It's a good thing to be a prude. You know, that, can, that, that word can be used in a negative way, but in uh, a biblical context, being a prude is a good thing. It means you have godly standards for yourself and for other people. Don't just throw yourself out there like that because you're worth more than that. Amen? For men and women. Don't just throw yourself out there like that. Wait on God's time. If it's in the cards for you, he'll bring you the right person. You don't got to go doing all that just to get somebody because that ain't cool. All right. So we already know, again, Artemis, it's not a, not a, not a good thing. Not a good thing how this, uh, this idea was celebrated. Side note, if you're into fragrances, colognes, perfume, they got a fragrance called Artemis. You notice all those commercials are always, man, the dude shredded. Dude got like 10-pack abs, got no body fat, and always got to have a shirt off, all oiled up, <laughs> doing this, and, you know, the girl in the bikini top, and, you know, they're always in water. Why? They're trying to look seductive and all that nonsense. But Artemis is also a popular fragrance today. Very subtle, but very satanic at its core. I'm not being legalistic, but uh, I wouldn't be wearing Artemis. <laughs> I don't think you should be wearing that because, again, it's just the subtle nature of Satan. And, you know, again, I'm not trying to lean to any either extreme because, you know, we go back and forth all day long. Yes, there are a lot of things that are that are not right, but um, it doesn't mean that we can't have access to them. We know the whole thing. I won't get into it. That's a whole nother topic. But the whole thing of, uh, you know, meat sacrifice to idols. Hey. If the Lord gives you a clear conscience about it, do it. I'm just putting information out there for you so you kind of know this is how the world operates. That's why you see that name still around because it has that satanic influence, that spirit of Satan surrounding it. So off top, this, this place was filled, talking about the city of Ephesus, with, with idol worship and false gods. So in the Lord's mind, this is a perfect place to plant a church. What better place to plant a church? But in all kind of ungodliness, you know, Jesus Christ goes where the chaos is to save souls. Aren't you glad <laughs> that the Lord does that? Look at how he sought you and me out. We may not have been in a, in, 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 in a, in a city like that, or maybe we were, but, uh, but personally, our condition, the way our character was, the way our hearts were before we knew him. We were steeped in idolatry. We were steeped in ungodliness. We were steeped in falsehood. And he goes into the muck and the mire and the dirtiest of dirties. And, and he, 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 he pulls out his hand. He outstretches his hand and he pulls us up. He pulls us up. He doesn't even wait for you to grab your, uh, his hand. He just <laughs> grabs you by the wrist and yanks you up out of that mess. That's a beautiful thing. 
That was a, that's a beautiful thing. But that's our Lord. That's His heart. That's how much He loves you and I. You know, that He said, I'm going to come to this earth I created and, and, and uh, take on the shell of a mere man, but still be 100% God. And I'm going to die a sacrificial death so that my creation has the opportunity to be saved. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, I can't get over that. That's such a beautiful thing. Back to Ephesus. Okay, so this was... It was also a great place of trade. So this, it was a hub. Uh, again, kind of like, you know, how the Bay Area is. Any kind of bay where there's ports, ships come in and out. Right now, I mean, we ain't got no ships coming in and out because of whatever. This whole issue with the pandemic and whatnot. And, 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 and ships, you know, having to be charged a large sum of money to drop off cargo. But nonetheless, Ephesus was a hub for much trade. So many different people would travel there. And this also provided a great opportunity for people to come to know Christ because you got people coming from all different areas of the world in order to uh, interact there and congregate there in, in the sense of for business and for trade. And so it was a great opportunity for those who follow Christ to use that as leverage so they could share the truth of the gospel with those around them. Okay, several main points this morning. And the first one is this. You can work hard. You can patiently endure for Christ's sake and yet abandon your first love. As this letter to the church of Ephesus begins, Jesus Christ actually commends them for their work and their toil and their patient endurance. He commended them. He said, you're doing a fabulous job. You're doing fantastic on these angles. You're making sure that all your I's are dotted and all your T's are crossed. He even went on to say that the church had not grown weary. But he did say that they abandoned their first love. And see, this is the interesting thing, right? When you start to really dissect what's going on with this church, and not only this church, but most importantly, what is going on within our own lives and our own hearts. Yeah. You know, we can have all our I's dotted and all our T's crossed and still have a wicked heart. That's, that's, pretty, <laughs> that's pretty convicting. You know, but it shows me that it's not about all this exterior. It's not about the outside. It's not about what we do, so to speak. It's about where we're at and who we are with. You see, though they had the best intentions in the world, they got caught up in works. Works. Doing things. Service. All of this Hustle and bustle. They got caught up in it. You see, service is a great thing. But when we lose sight of who and why we serve, it loses its value. It becomes invaluable. It doesn't, there, 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 there's, no, there's no value left because we lost sight of who we serve and why we serve in the first place. You see, they had forgotten the one they were supposed to be serving the whole time. They got so caught up in doing. And there's many people like this within the church today where it's like, we do. We got this. We got that. We're doing this. We're doing that. From sunup to sundown. We do, 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 do. And, I, you know, I get it. If the Lord has you in a situation, in a circumstance where you got to cater to five different services on a Sunday... Hey, more power to you. I'm praise God. I'm not. He knows that I don't got that within me. <laughs> I'm not going to come back here till five o'clock at night doing that unless it, unless the Lord's hand is really upon upon it. 
and upon the people that this is something that they're supposed to do. But we can get caught up in doing stuff. Oh, we got this ministry and that ministry and this ministry and that ministry. But we have to ask the question, is the Lord in it? Or is it what you want? Or is it what the people want? You see, a lot of times, a lot of pastors, they've been to the hand of the people. Oh, so-and-so's not happy. I got to change it up. What about your conviction? What about what the Lord showed you? Oh, well, you know, (laughs) God, I got to please people. Got to make sure they're comfortable. If you're comfortable sitting here all the time, then one, I'm not doing my job right. And two, you're not doing your job right. You shouldn't be sitting in these seats comfortable every Sunday. There's something seriously wrong. The word of God convicts. The word of God cuts. The word of God divides truth from falsehood. Nobody here is fully sanctified, so nobody here should be sitting here always content. There's a difference between peace. You can have the peace of God and still sense conviction. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is just all humdrum, like it just rolls off your back, like none of this stuff penetrates. There's a serious problem if that's what we're dealing with week in, week out. So, again, they did all these things, but they, they, they lost sight of their first love. The second main point is this. You and I can actually look right from the outside. But again, this is an extension of the first point. But actually abandon our first love, who is Jesus Christ. You see, the church in Ephesus was commended for their uh, endurance and that they hadn't tolerated evil teaching. From the outside perspective, they looked like the ideal church. But you see, Jesus Christ specializes in interior designing. He specializes in the inner workings of our hearts, right? And the, the Ephesian church's biggest problem was somewhere down the line, they had abandoned their first love. It didn't happen all at once. It was a gradual thing. It was a gradual thing. That's why when the Bible talks about Uh, worry about nothing, pray about everything, tell the Lord what you need and thank Him for all He has done, right? That's why you're supposed to pray about every single little thing. Some people say, well, I'm not going to pray about every little thing, but do you understand that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little bit of sin turns into a whole lot of sin over a period of time. And if you don't nip that thing in the bud by praying about everything and anything, when it comes to your mind through the influence of the Holy Spirit, you're going to find yourself, and I'm going to find myself in a predicament where all of a sudden we got this big old issue on our hands because we didn't nip it in the bud when we first got convicted of it. So that's why it's very important to understand these things. And this is what was going on with the Ephesian church. Little by little... They abandoned their first love. Like I said, it didn't happen overnight. It was a gradual thing of just being, oh, well, we're all good. We don't tolerate evil teaching. We're patiently enduring. We're waiting on the Lord. We're doing the right things. They got comfortable. They got complacent. They rested on their laurels. And this is what ended up happening. I don't even know what laurels means, but (laughs) rested, rested, okay, back, rested on your back. Why do they call your back a laurel? There's got to be a good reasoning, and I'm sure Daniel can tell us. There you go. Okay, so now I understand what I'm saying. (laughs) Don't rest on past victories in the Lord, right? It's it's an everyday thing. Communion, everyday common union with God, right? We, we, we We shouldn't be talking about, well, you know, what I did in 1986 
Oh, I went hard for the Lord. I was part of the crusade. And what what what'd you, what'd you do last week? What you do? What you do this week? If we don't have any news of what the Lord's been doing up to date in our lives, then man, you know, nobody wants that stale bread. Remember, Lou was like, I can't stand these communion cups that are prepackaged. The juice tastes like wine because it's fermented for over a year and a half. You're feeding us this stuff. The cracker, it just dissolves in your mouth all weird. You know, nobody wants anything stale and nasty. And that's the same thing with the Lord. He doesn't want a stale and nasty relationship with us. How, how, how weak would our, uh, you know, <laughs> our sharing and our testimony be if it's like, oh, man, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, this is, what, this is what the Lord did two years ago. And you're trying to, you're trying to convince somebody and persuade somebody <laughs> in the glory of God and his power. But you ain't got no real testimony that's saying like, no, this is what the Lord is doing every day in my life. I'm seeing him move, right? Because he's moving and he's doing stuff. But is it, are we aware? Again, perspective. Is our perspective seeking the Lord and how he's being revealed in our lives or are we not aware? And this is what happened to this Ephesian church. You see, somewhere they confused service for Christ to be more important than being in him. And that's why I talked about that song, that last song that Isaiah and Michelle uh, did in worship. It's, it's the same exact thing. He ain't tripping off a song. He wants your heart. Because if he has your heart, your heart is associated with your whole being, your whole character, the whole aura of who you are. And if Jesus Christ has your heart then that means everything else that flows from that heart that he has is going to be in its rightful place, in its rightful little cubbyhole, so to speak, right? And this is why he wants your heart. He wants my heart. But you see the Ephesian church, they confused their service for being more important than actually being in him and resting in him. You see, there's a danger in serving Jesus and thinking you and I have a genuine relationship with him. They looked the part, but they were living a lie. Luke chapter 11, verse 39 tells us, Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Oh, that's cutting to the heart. It is. And, and I know that this specific verse is directed to the Jewish religious leaders, but it can be applied across the board. You know? I mean, I can get, <laughs> I can get cleaned up and line myself up and cut my hair, man. It's a lot of pretty big bikes running around today. But I can clean myself up and get shaven up and put some cologne on and, you know, all this and that. And yes, the shell of me looks presentable and I look clean, but what good is it to do all this to doll yourself up and prep yourself and prepare yourself when the inner workings of your heart, you haven't done that. I'm not saying don't take care of yourself, right? Take care of yourself. There should, you should have healthy self-care. Everyone should have a, 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 some kind of minimum where you take care of yourself. Don't, don't be like, uh, I don't know, I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but <laughs> I only clean my kids when, they're, when they smell or when I see dirt. Oh my gosh, what are you doing? Clean your children. Clean your kids. But anyways, that's a whole other <laughs> that's a whole other thing. But but take that to heart as far as your character. Do we only clean our hearts? Do we only come to the Lord when 
the muck and the grime and the grit and the sin has been, become so unbearable, that's not a good thing. We, you and I need to keep short accounts with the Lord. We need to daily be before Him. Consciously. We're already before Him already because He's omnipresent. So you can't escape God. He's everywhere. Right. But I'm talking about the willful, conscious effort to go before, to lay your heart before the Lord, allow him to seek your heart, allow him to point out the things that like the church in Ephesus that he's pleased with and the things that he says, hey, there, there needs some correction. Here. There needs to be some kind of change so you can be at your optimum the way I created you to be. And this is what we need, you and I, in our lives. And the third main point is this. See, this is this is beautiful because we see what's wrong. But now we have an understanding of how we can make this right. And it's what I just mentioned. We are to keep short accounts with God. This means being in constant communion with him. This is how you avoid abandoning your first love. Recognizing your most important relationship is with Jesus Christ will help you keep the right perspective about everything else you do. You're not going to be too high. You're not going to be too low. And that's a great thing about humbling yourself, right? Because sometimes we have the understanding of what humble means and we think it's just to get low. Well, it is to get low in the sense of you're low before the almighty God, but you also have to have a right estimation of who you are and the God-given talents he's given you. It doesn't mean that you lay down and do absolutely nothing and let everyone trample over you because then that means you don't have a right estimation of how God created you and how his glory uh, has blessed you to be upon your life and what he's given you as gifts from him. Humbling ourselves is having the right estimation. So he's given all of us God-given talents and abilities. And he wants you and I to exercise those in such a way that it would bring glory and honor to him. Amen. And that's why having the right estimation of yourself is very important. And that only happens by keeping short accounts with him daily. Having a right perspective of who he is. And that will influence you to have the right perspective on all the things you're called to do. You see, any service you do for others in the Lord's name flows from a correct relationship with him. Our service for him can never supersede our total dependence upon him. Meaning, you can't say, because I've done X, Y, and Z, I'm right with you, God. That is going to get you ixnade in the sense of he's not going to accept that. It has to be, I'm basing my whole being on the fact that Jesus Christ died for my sins, rose from the dead, has accepted me, and now you see his righteousness upon me. And now I'm grafted into your family. That will get you that ding, 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 winner, winner, chicken dinner. It doesn't matter. I don't care how many books you wrote. And books aren't bad for people to write. Christian books aren't bad for people to write. But it's not based on that. It's not based on, well, I fed this many people. I've given this much money. I'm the president CEO of this Christian organization. That's going to earn you nothing. It's not that. Remember, what does he say? Our good works are but a menstruated rag to him. He don't care about that. He cares about your heart, my heart. From that, the right heart, then you can do those things and you can have no guilt and have no shame and have peace and be like, I can do these things knowing that I'm not looking for praise, honor. I'm not looking for the Lord to accept me because of these things. But I do these things because my heart has been redirected. My heart has been reconfigurated and changed. And now I bring honor and glory to him because this is, he's living through me. And that's a great thing. But, you know, I, I, I keep reiterating this because it's so important that we don't miss it. Because a lot of Christians lose sight in this and they base their righteousness on what they do. And they say they do it in the name of Jesus Christ. When he's going to say to those people, depart from me, I never knew you. 
workers of iniquity. But I did it in your name. But you didn't have a relationship with me. You didn't, you didn't commune with me daily. You didn't, you didn't hear the, the still small voice that said, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. I want to come in. I want to dine with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to show you when you're doing right. I want to show you when you're doing wrong. But no, I, I have my own wisdom. I have my own understanding. I see people with need and I just run to do it. Do you know sometimes the Lord will say no? <laughs> but the, they need help. The Lord will say no. Stop. Do not go there. Do not do that. Do not help them. You want to know why? God's infinitely more wise than you and I. And maybe those people need to go through some things. And by you going to their aid without the Lord giving you the okay to do so, you're actually hindering them from growing. Maybe they have to go through difficult times. And the Lord got them. The Lord knows what they can handle, what they can't handle. But you and I running around trying to be Mother Teresa is not the thing to do. We need to seek the Lord in all that we do. Many mistakes have been made in ministry because people just go off of their gut. My gut is fickle. Right now I'm kind of bloated and I got a little pain. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is. I haven't had coffee this morning, but you know, going off, you, you can't go off your gut. Go off of the Lord. Amen. All right. All that and we're just at verse one. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry if I'm long winded. I apologize. Revelation chapter two, verse one to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is a bit of review, but you know what? All the Bible is review, so I don't feel bad saying it. As discussed under Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, this angel may be the pastor of the church of Ephesus or an angel looking in on the works of the church. In some way, this angel represents this church, but the letter isn't written just to the representative, but to the whole church. Now, again, that's the city. We know that this was a famous ancient city. It was, an, it was equally famous with the church that was planted there. Paul ministered in Ephesus, uh, Ephesus excuse me, for three years. Aquila and Priscilla with Apollo served there. Paul's close associate, Timothy, also worked in Ephesus. And like I said, we already talked about how this, uh, this city was world famous for its religion, for its culture, and the economic region that it was. Again, the temple of Diana, such a shame, a fertility goddess worshipped there with immoral sex. This tremendous temple to Diana was regarded as the seventh wonder of the ancient world. And this is interesting because the temple of Artemis was also a major treasury bank, right, in the ancient world. And so many merchants, many kings, and even uh, and even cities made deposits at this bank where their money could be kept under the safe protection of this deity. Well, that's not good. <laughs> I thought it was under the safe protection of stocks and bonds. No, it's under the safe protection of this fertility goddess. What is going on? But we know, right, in many cultures, this kind of sacrilegious, ungodly activity still exists today where people worship different gods, little g, in the hopes that their financial uh, prosperity is going to be blessed. But that's not the case. That's not truth. You see, Ephesus was a stronghold of Satan. Here many evil things, both, both superstitious and satanic, were practiced. Books containing formulas of sorcery and other ungodly forbidden arts were widely accepted in that city. 
we know we talked about this last week. All that stuff is real. You don't need to get all scared, but it's real. You know, all the hexes and vexes, the curses and all that stuff, you know, all the dark stuff is real. Demons are real. You know, you don't mess with Ouija boards. You don't go mess with tarot cards and go to some lady that claims to be reading a crystal ball. All that stuff is just satanic things meant to mock God, trying to emulate what God does on a demonic level. But the application is this. This was a perfect place to plant a church. Mark chapter 2 verse 17 tells us, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It's a great thing. So this place was full of wickedness. And God was like, it's a perfect place to plant my church because I want these people's souls to be saved. Example, just look at where we live. You know, I know, Michelle, you made a mention when you get when you guys go back, you know, to North Carolina or whatnot, you know, people always rag on California. Well, I mean, the, the reality is we lived in we live in the most unchurched region of America. We live in the most liberal state in the country. We live in the Bay Area where, you know, they make a mockery of God's rainbow and they have it as a flag that signifies people's rights to have whatever sexual premise they want. And we all know that it's not right. It's not what the Bible says. We're not knocking the people as the people, but the lifestyle is not right. It's, a, it's an affront to God. But we live in this area. We live in this area. But do you know, you and I live in this area for a reason, for a purpose. There's a reason why God has not uprooted you out of the most expensive place to live. And you're like, man, how do I make ends meet? I'm struggling. This is tough. I should move to Texas. I should move to Kansas. I should move to Boise, Idaho. I should move to Vermont. I don't know. Move somewhere where it's cheaper. (laughs) But we're here for a reason. Just like the believers that were in Ephesus. They were there for a reason. To shine and reflect the light of Jesus Christ in a dark place. In the hopes that somebody's soul would turn to the truth and they would be saved. What does the Bible say? One sinner. And heaven rejoices. They're going to be those that say, oh, I don't want to hear it. I don't care. I don't care about your Christianity. It's fake. I don't want to hear that nonsense. I want to do what I want to do. I want to live how I want to live. I want my liberty. I want my freedom. Whatever. The reality is there's going to be somebody in your sphere of influence that's going to accept the gospel. And that's why you're here. You're here. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. Right? We're his church. We're supposed to breathe life into people through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. Amen? He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Okay, these are images that were taken from John's vision of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. They emphasize again the authority of Jesus in his church and he and his immediate presence in the church. He walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Wow, that's like the Lord is in our midst. He's in our midst. That's super cool. You know that wherever you go, you take God with you, right? Sometimes you walk into places that are ungodly. They are. And it's not boasting of who we are. Like it's, 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 it's the proper perspective. Have you ever been in a situation where it's like, it's just dark? It may be light like this, but I'm talking about the atmosphere, the aura, the energy. It is dark. Because people are spiritually dead around you. 
you may be the only reflecting light of Jesus Christ that some people may see. And that's why it's so important for us to live above reproach, walk in a way worthy of the call upon our lives that people, when they see us, they see the character and the conduct of us and they ask, what is it with you? How are you this way? It's like, man, that's your opportunity right there. It's not me. It's Christ. It's Christ living in me. And then you share. And then, man, it's like you either plant a seed or use to water a seed. And somewhere down the line, someone gets saved. It's all because, obviously, it's the Lord's plan, his overarching plan. But you remain faithful and you do your part, no matter how small you think that is. You see, it's all, it's all the small things. You see, it's all the small days. It's all the small moments in each day that lead up to a lifestyle of faithfulness. Oh, my gosh. That's how you could be in the hall of faith. Do you know that there's many people in the hall of faith that never got their reward here on earth? They never saw things rectified here on earth. They never saw their lives vindicated on earth. They never received a monetary reward for their faithfulness in Christ here on earth. But yet they are regarded in the household of faith. Abraham, Abraham, oh my gosh, this ought to give you hope. Abraham was told, I'm going to make you a father of great nations. Him and Sarai, Abram at the time, he said, no, I can't, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go lay with Hagar. That's how all the whole, <laughs> that's how all, all, all the other people came to be. All the Muslims. Even then, Lord said, I'm faithful to you. So uh, if Abraham can be disobedient like that and be regarded in the, in, in the, in the household of faith, that ought to give you. <laughs> all right, Lord. Okay, we got this. You know, we got this. I, I'm okay. You know, it should. It should encourage you. When you see flawed things like that, flawed people like that in the household of faith, my goodness, that encourages me because I know I got stuff that I'm ashamed I won't ever tell you about. It's between me and the Lord. And for the fact of the Lord to say, okay, Keefing, I've accepted you in my family. That's just a great thing. All right, let's get back to the topic at hand. The whole point of him walking amongst the lampstands, speaking of Jesus Christ, this, this introduction, it stresses that Jesus Christ is central in the church and should be recognized as central in the church. He is, holds. This is an ancient word. Daniel, help me out and make sure I'm pronouncing this right. If I don't, please correct me. Kratian, C-R-A-T-E-I-N. Kratian. Is that correct? Kratian? Cradian? Correct me when you find it. Cradian. Right here. C-R-A-T. Cretan? Cretan? Okay, Cretan. This is emphatic and a complete word. So basically it's meaning that like, okay, Jesus Christ holds the church. He holds you and I. There's no letting go. You're not going to fall off. You're not going to fall out. You know, you're going to be, you're held in his hand securely. You see, the church belongs to Jesus Christ, not to the leaders of a church, not to the people of the church, not to the pastor of the church. It's not about the pastor. It's not about the ministry team. It's not about a campus. You see, some people attend church services or church groups, church groups, excuse me, for all the wrong reasons. Oh, man. I love the children's ministry. I love all the things they do. Yeah, that's good and fine. Oh, I love the, the pastor's so witty. Oh, he's so cool. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Oh, man, I, I love all the activities that they have. And the campus is so beautiful. It's six on seven acres, and it's got redwood trees all over the place. Yeah, that's cool. 
But you should go to wherever you're called to go because the Lord is growing you there. Not because of material things. Not because of the personality of people. That's wrong. That's not right. You see, sometimes we like to gravitate where everyone's just like us. So we can blend in, not have to expose ourselves. You know, I've heard a pastor say this, and I'm like, this is definitely not our church. <laughs> Which is super cool, or the Lord's church here. Let me rephrase that. But he was like, you know, you know how it is sometimes when you do the meet and greet. Get up and hug your neighbor. <laughs> and people are like, I don't know you. <laughs> Who's this? Or, you know, you talk for about a couple seconds and then there's this awkward silence. Oh, uh, silence, awkward, what's going on? It's like, no, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. And I get people got to earn trust in this and that. But, I mean, there's got to be a hospitality, hospitality amongst the people of God, amen, where we should be able to be amongst one another. And there's a genuine love there, a genuine concern for the well-being of other people, it's supposed to be like that. If you're like, dude, I can't wait to get out of this room to get away from you, that's not Christianity. That's not right. Now, yes, we're going to get on each other's nerves. Keep it real. Look at the apostles. <laughs> they had moments where they were like, you know, remember John Mark? They were like, Paul was like, John Mark, dude, you're a buster, bro. <laughs> I'm not bringing you along. But, you know, what did Paul say later on? Dude, John Mark, you're of good use to me because John Mark grew. He became a responsible Christian. He grew spiritually and maturely, and they were reconciled. That's a beautiful thing. You see, that's the thing with the, with the Christian church, is that there should be a revolving door. There should be an opportunity for people to be reconciled. There should be an opportunity for people to come back and say, you know what, yeah, we, we had our issues, we had our bouts, but you know what, the main thing is we're serving Christ, and I'm glad to see you've grown. I'm glad to see you've, you've become a, not, a, not a boy anymore, but now you're a man. Now you're a woman in God. And that's what we should see. All that to be said, wherever you attend and you call your home church, go there because you're hearing from God, not because of these external things, because all those external things, if that's what they, you know, they, it's been said before, if we got ponies here and that's what drove you here, then I'm going to have to have pony here, ponies here every week to keep you here. Or else you're going to be like, dude, this is whack. There's no ponies here. And I came for the ponies. Yeah, God's cool, but I like the ponies. My kid likes to pet the pony. There's no pony here this week. What's the deal? It's funny, right? But it's real, though. It's real. People will go to places because of all those exterior things. And when those exterior things aren't met, we're like, well, I'm church hopping again. <laughs> Got to find a new church home. Man, stick somewhere and grow roots. It's so important. It's so important. It just makes you stronger as a Christian. It really does. You can venture out, visit all you want, but you've got to have a church home. Amen. All right. Two and three. Is my mom not muted? Mom, I'm about to mute you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not no disrespect. I, you know, the feedback from the, the Zoom. All right. Uh, two and three. It says, I know the works. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But I've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing under my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So he says, I know your works. Jesus looked at his church, and he knew its condition. It was no mystery to Jesus about what was going on with this church. The application is this. You see, there may be sin or corruption hidden in a congregation. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in your life, but
But Jesus knows. He knows clearly it's no mystery to him what's going on in your heart and my heart. It's not hidden from Christ. He would say the same thing for us today, both as individuals and as a congregation. I know your works. An example. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden. What did God say? One day he said, Adam, where are you? Did God not know where Adam was? He created the garden. He created the man. He knew where he was. He just wanted to see how was Adam going to respond. Are you going to be honest? Are you going to tell me what you're really doing? <laughs> you over here with your, with your wife knitting some stuff. Because you're, you're like, I'm naked. Privacy. Privacy. Well, why, why are you ashamed? Because now your eyes have been opened to the truth. Uh, things that you shouldn't have been aware of. Because you ate of the fruit he told you not to eat. He wanted to see how Adam would respond. We're the same way. He says, your works, your labor, your patience. Jesus knew what this church did right. He knows what we're doing right today, church. They worked hard for the Lord, and they had godly endurance. You see, patience in the Greek word, I think I got this one pronounced right, upomene. Upomene. Yeah, I could smile. I'm smiling under my mask. I'm like, yes! <laughs> I said it right. I pronounced it right. Which means steadfast endurance. You see, in this sense, the church in Ephesus was rock solid because they had patient endurance. That's a good thing. You want patient endurance. He says that you cannot bear those who are evil. The Ephesian church pursued doctrinal purity. Paul warned the Ephesians about this in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 down through 31. It says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Man, so Paul's intense with this. He's like pleading with them. You better be on watch because men are going to rise up from amongst you and they're going to teach you things that are false, that are not true. And that's why it's so important for us to make sure that we're testing every spirit that comes before us. You better test my spirit every time I come up here to this pulpit. I pray there won't ever be a day where I come up teaching false doctrine or I'm teaching something of my own understanding. But that's your responsibility as the church. You have to hold me accountable. You have to. And I have to hold you accountable too. My, my responsibility here is to make sure you're spiritually maturing, that you're growing. It ain't about our numbers. It ain't about this, this room bursting at the seams with people. It's about who's here. Are you growing roots? Are you growing mature in Christ? Is there fruit in your life? Are you, are you thriving in Christ? That's what's so important. You see, from this command of Jesus, we know that the Ephesians took Paul's warning seriously. The application is this. The church today, like the Ephesian church then, must vigorously test, vigorously, excuse me, test those who claim to be messengers from God, especially those who say they are apostles, because deceivers will speak well of themselves. Deceivers will speak well of themselves. They will esteem themselves and try to prop themselves up. This is what the final Antichrist is going to do and deceive the world with miracles, healing, fire, all this nonsense. But people who are unchurched are going to be like, wow! That's God. Oh, oh, we praise you. We worship you. But it's Satan. Oh, man. You got to test. And in order to be able to test, you have to submit to God yourself. So now you can have the Holy Spirit living within you. Because as a non-believer, you're not going to be able to know who's telling you truth from error. You're going to be like, oh, it sounds good. I'm wrong with it. <laughs> you see, so some of these things are conditional, meaning you have to be a Christian to know. 
to have discernment in the first place. So the first order of business is submit to Christ. Once you submit to Christ, then you get the Holy Spirit living in your heart. Now you can have the discernment of the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. You see, the greater the evil, the more deceptive, deceptive its cloak. I like this quote from Charles Spurgeon, and it says, This was grand of them. It showed a backbone of truth. I wish some of the churches of this age had a little of this holy decision about them. For nowadays, if a man be clever, he may preach the vilest lie that was ever vomited from the mouth of hell, and it will go down with some. Oh, that's hardcore. (laughs) Because that's how unlearned some people are. And that's why, again, this is why it's the family of God. You and I need to come alongside one another. So those who are young in the faith, they can grow in maturity so they could learn. What is it? There's a saying, you can fish for a man and he'll eat once. Or you can teach a man to fish and then he'll eat for the rest of his life. That's how we are supposed to be amongst ourselves. Teach one another the ways of God. Help them understand the scripture. Obviously, it's the Holy Spirit working through you, but in that, they're going to be able to learn to rightfully divide the Word of God, rightfully discern an unclean spirit from a clean spirit, and they're going to be able to know. So they're not letting it go down well with them, a, a, a lie from the pit of hell. And then they walk out thinking, oh, I feel good about myself, and everything is all good, knowing that, not knowing, excuse me, that they've been taught a lie. It shouldn't be that way. You see... Also, the Ephesian church continued doing well with things without becoming weary. This showed a godly perseverance that we should imitate. By all outward appearances, this was a solid church that worked hard, had great outreach, and protected the integrity of the gospel. Last verse. Last verse. Verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you first had. This is super deep right here. But I have this against you. Jesus used a sobering word, but, which basically means despite all that, (laughs) I have a whole other thing I'm about to share with you. Example, you know, you have a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Oh man, we've had great times. Prom was fantastic. You know, we had, I mean, I love you so much, but I'm going off to college and I'm leaving your butt. (laughs) We are done. We are no more. We are finito. We are finished. The word but puts everything before it in great context. All throughout the Bible are great promises where the word but is used. An example, there's so many, I'll just use this one. Okay, somebody's bumping. Psalms 72 verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There are so many great promises found in the Bible. That was a good but. Here though, Jesus took into full account all the good in the Ephesian church, yet despite all that, he had something against them. But here in context means all the good in the Ephesian church did not counsel out all the bad Jesus was about to describe. Here was the knockout blow. Here was the Mike Tyson You know, boom, the Muhammad Ali, whatever. This was the knockout punch. He said, you lost your first love. Or excuse me, you left your first love. Despite all the good the Ephesian church did, there was something seriously wrong. They had left their first love. A bunch of things pop off in this statement. This is so important. You cannot miss this. One, 
They, the Ephesian church, left. Not Christ, but them. He remained faithful, but they decided to leave. In their hearts, they had turned away from him. The application is this. Many times when we don't sense God close to us, it's usually because of disobedience and unconfessed sin in our lives. That's not to say that there are times like Job when you're just being tested. But I'm talking about when you're not being faithful. I'm talking about when you're being disobedient. I'm talking about when there's unconfessed sin in your life. You don't sense, I don't sense God close to us. God never left. God didn't move. We moved. We chose to be disobedient. And the second thing is this. This is the hope. They left their first love. They didn't lose it. You see, there's a big difference between left and lost. They once had a love that they didn't have anymore. This can be described as a definite and sad departure. You see, the distinction between leaving and losing is very important because something can be lost quite by accident, but leaving is a deliberate act. Means that they didn't mean to do it and it didn't happen suddenly as well. When we lose something, we don't know where to find it. But when we leave something, we know exactly where it is. Like, oh, I left my keys on the kitchen table. You know where your keys are at. You just got to go back and get your keys. But when you lost it, I have no idea where they're at. And I'm frantic and I'm losing my mind. But this is what's going on with the church at this point. You see, if you would have attended a service at the church of Ephesus, you might have thought, this is a happening church. They're doing so much right. They really guard the truth. But at the same time, if you were living with the influence of the Holy Spirit, you might have a vague sense of some kind of uneasy feeling. You just couldn't pinpoint it yet. But you're like, something's just not right about this church. It wasn't hard for Jesus to see the problem, even though everything looked wonderful on the outside. The application is this. We need to guard against being whitewashed walls, looking the part, but our hearts are far from Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 tells us, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are from me. This is a very serious problem. You see, without love and without love of Christ, all is in vain. No wonder Jesus said, Nevertheless, I have this against you. A church has no reason for being a church when there is no love within their hearts or when love grows cold. You lose love, you lose everything. And that's what I'm talking about. We can have all this external stuff. Oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. We got Bible studies five days a week. I got this pastor, this pastor, world renowned, coming in on flights. And you know, there's, uh, what is Hagen? He's asking people, oh, God is telling you to give me money for a private jet because I don't want to catch COVID. What? Bro, you should be burned right now. For making that statement what is your problem man and you're doing it under the cloak of jesus christ in the holy bible shame on you shame on you for doing that Co is it copeland yeah copeland kenneth copeland is that correct man that is, well i should be praying for his soul i shouldn't be smashing on him but there is a righteous anger and that's not right he says you left your first love what love did they first leave as christians we are told to love god and to love one another did they leave the love of God? Do they leave the love of others? Probably it was a mix of both. You see, because the two loves go together. The application is this. You can't say that you love God and not love his family. And you can't really love his family without loving him first. The Ephesian church was a working church. Sometimes a focus on working for Jesus will eclipse a love relationship with him. 
This is a key point. We can put what we do for Jesus before who we are in him, but it's supposed to be the other way around. You see, I'm a child of God saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. One of the things I do, I wear many hats. One of the things I do is pastor this church, but my identity is not a pastor. It's what I do. I don't, I hate going up to people. I don't tell people I'm pastor keeping. You know, when I, when I respond to people in text, I just put my name. I'm keeping, you know, I don't need to throw all that around because there's an identity crisis there. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of the most high in Jesus Christ. I'm not a pastor. This is just something I do. We can leave Jesus in the temple just as his parent, the parents of Jesus did as well. The Ephesian church was a doctrinally pure church. As the worship team comes up, this is my last point. Sometimes a focus on doctrinal purity will make a congregation cold, suspicious, and intolerant of diversity. But hear me, <laughs> I'm not talking about the diversity that the world is talking about right now. Talking about, you know, culturally inclusive I'm talking about diversity in Christ. I'm talking about Christian groups being imbalanced in extremes. An example of this is when some churches say, well, we don't use any electrical instruments. No, we worship and praise God with our voices only. You know, any kind of musical instrument is frowned upon or, or, or if Jesus Christ isn't in the name of the church, it's not a true church. That's, that's, that's an extreme. Or we don't use any technology, you know. That's just, you're doing too much. You're losing sight of what's really going on. We need the main focus to be on Christ. That's the most important thing. You see, if you and I are not resting in him for every single thing we need, you'll never be able to do for him what he's truly calling you to do. First, love. There is a definite, sure difference in the relationship with Jesus. Things aren't as they used to be. An application, the application, excuse me, is this. It isn't that we expect what we should have expected when we first met Jesus, right? When we were brand new Christians. But the newness should transition to a depth that makes us, our love stronger for Christ. Think of marriage. When you first got married, you know, maybe you don't have the same exact excitement that you had when you were first married. Maybe you've been married 25 years. Maybe you've been married 10 years. Maybe you've been married five years. And it's like, man, I don't feel the same but there should be a deepening of your bond there should be a deepening of that love to where it's richer and stronger than it was when you first got married amen may we be those who will not forsake our first love may we be those who daily recognize our relationship with jesus christ as king it is in him alone that every good thing flows amen let's pray heavenly father Lord, thank you for just this timely message, Lord, about how it is. It is all about you, Lord. It's all about what you've done and how we respond to what you've done for us. May we be those that are thankful, that are grateful for the grace and mercy that's showered upon us by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And may we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. May we take our cues from him. And may we be able to live out our lives in an obedient manner that would bring good spiritual fruit and bring you glory. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.